Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for June 4th, 2018. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and today is Water Cooler Monday. So we have the whole team on to talk about what they've been up to and what they've been doing, and that includes Slash Film editor, uh, Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Writers Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Uh, ben is on a trip right now and could not make it for this podcast, uh, but that won't stop us from having fun at the water cooler and talking about what we've been up to. Uh, I will start this off by saying I've been uh, not up to a whole lot. Uh, last week I was uh, busy uh, working, uh, visiting some movie sets, which I'm not at liberty to discuss, and that's not uh, a humble brag. I wanted to mention that it is... Uh, it, it is a uh, fun to actually go to a movie set for something is shot in Los Angeles on a movie studio lot in Los Angeles because like I I'm so used to traveling, uh you know uh I'm not complaining about traveling but uh I love 
movie studio lots. They they mean so much to me. And now you walk around a studio lot. Uh, a lot of my screenings in L.A. are on studio lots. And, you know, you walk by these big sound stages that uh, are all taking up by television productions. And, you know, most of the film productions have been wowed around, you know, the world by tax incentives. And it's just, uh, I don't know. It, it was uh, without saying anything about uh, what I did or wh- you know where I went, but it's it just um, uh, refreshing to actually be on a uh, movie studio lot in in Hollywood, uh, you know, seeing a film being shot. Um, it, it's very cool. Uh, but uh, I did do some stuff over the weekend. Uh, there was uh, you may have seen this on Twitter, uh, Jacob. I know you saw this. Um, there was this huge Amazon box that was on the back of like a big Mack truck, and it was uh, driving around uh, California, and uh, it had a, a Jurassic World logo on it. It had some holes, and if you drove by it, you could hear like a dinosaur inside. And it was a uh, a lot of you know it, it kind of went viral around Instagram and Twitter of like you know people like wondering where this box was being delivered. Uh, there was a hashtag on the side of Amazon finds a way. Uh, it, it turns out it was being delivered to the Grove in Los Angeles, which is a mall, uh, yeah, a outdoor mall in Los Angeles. And uh, I was able to get over there. Uh, not when Chris Pratt and uh, Bryce Dallas Howard was there, but I was able to get there like uh, a, a few minutes after they have le- they had left, and uh, they had opened the box, and inside was a giant uh, T Rex statue promoting uh, Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom, um, and it's just kind of like a photo uh, opportunity for everybody. It was cool. You can uh, I-, I will link to my photos from that event. Uh, but I'm assuming up until the movie's release, it'll probably be at the Grove in Los Angeles. So if you're in California, if you're in Southern California, you can uh, go get your picture with a T-Rex, um, which is very cool. I like this a lot, Peter, because it's sort of the old school hucksterism of it. Like, there's a giant box full of a T-Rex. And I feel like where so many of the campaigns these days for movies are all about like social media and hashtags. So now we're, we're going to put a big dinosaur in a box and drive around California. I think this is really cool. I feel like some people were disappointed when they opened the box that it wasn't like an animatronic T-Rex or something, but I don't think they have the budget for that. But um, but it was definitely cool, and I, I had gotten text messages from friends on the road, you know, taking photos and videos of it. Uh, my friend John was chasing it down for a little bit, uh, and everybody was trying to figure out where it was going. Uh, yeah, but um, on Saturday, I attended uh, Cyclop Printworks. Uh, they had an art show a gallery show for The Incredibles 2 at Gallery Nucleus, which is the first time I've actually been at Gallery Nucleus in, uh, I think it's Alhambra. Um, and, uh, you know, Incredibles is one of my favorite Pixar films. Uh, Eric Tan, who did a lot of the art for the original Incredibles uh, marketing, uh, is one of my favorite artists. I have a lot of his art on the wall. He had uh, a bunch of uh, prints that were available at the show. Uh, the whole show is available online or whatever is left over from it. Um, but uh, And it was a great show. All the art was fantastic. Um, but I didn't buy anything. And uh, I, I wanted to bring that up because... Strangely, I'm not so excited for Incredibles 2. This is the movie that, like, I should be, like, it should be, like, the, you know, the the most anticipated movie of the summer for me as someone who's such a big Incredibles fan. But, like, it just seems like such a, 
a minor sequel. Maybe it's how they're they're marketing it. It doesn't seem spectacular in any way. It just kind of seems like another installment. If does that make any sense, Brad? Why am I wrong here? Uh, I don't know. I, don't, I feel like you're totally off base here. Like, I mean, I'm super pumped for Incredibles too. Uh, you know, Incredibles is my favorite Pixar movie, and I'm really excited about it. I don't know if it's maybe just because I've seen more of it and I know what to. Yeah, kind you, of you've seen thirty minutes, so you. Yeah. You've... So I'm. Just, I don't know. I'm just excited about the prospect of seeing these characters together and seeing what they do with them. You know, after all these years. So I'm. I'm. I'm totally down to see what Pixar's got up their sleeve with this one. You know, it's also tough buying stuff that you're going to hang on your wall for, you know, not like cheap. You know, you're not buying a poster for $2. You're buying a print for, you know, 50, 60, 70 bucks for a movie you have not seen yet. Uh, and I know Mondo does this a lot. Um, and that's, that's true. But I feel like a lot of the pieces that uh, in that art show are pretty generic in the sense that they're just Incredibles pieces in general. There's not, there's only a couple that are seem that like they're specific to Incredibles too. Yeah. Like, but, like Craig Drake pieces are all just the individual characters. And, um, there's that one with like the five, like simple shape heads on it, which I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to get it, but see, that was uh, the one I was tempted to get the most, but the frame size is such a, like you need to get it custom framed. So they'll yeah, probably, that was, they'll probably that was, cost that, you as was, much as the print costs. What are you gonna say? That's what held me back. That's what held me back too. And um, and it's a weird, huge size. Like uh, there's a print by I think it's Eric Tan of Edna Mode, which is incredible. But it's like a 24 by 36 inch, like you know that that's like the size of like a movie poster. Uh, print of Edna Mode, Mode, and like I don't have the room for the, for for an Edna Mode, uh, you know, screen print on my wall. So I don't know. Uh. And I'm excited to see it. Uh, I am seeing it uh, this week. I, I but I don't know. I, I just wasn't excited to buy art from it yet. And the the art was fantastic. I I mean, you should go check out. Uh, I think you can buy it all online. I'll link it in the show notes. But I I don't know. And lastly, I just wanted to mention. Uh, I'm not sure if you have done this, Brad, but I went to Toys R Us. Toys R Us is going out of business, as you know, and they basically are liquidating all their assets. Um, if you are a uh, you know little kid at heart like me and like toys and, and games, then you might want to head to your local Toys R Us because, like for example, all their video games are fifty percent off. Um, they're just like getting rid of everything at like low rates. Uh, my my buddy um, Jeff uh, from Force Awakens. Do you remember they had that giant Tie Fighter? It was like huge. Um, I think yeah. they sold it for like two hundred bucks. He got it for I think fifteen dollars. What? Yeah, a massive deal. So uh, I I know all the Toys R Us. I think are I think they might be operating independently. So your deals that like your local Toys R Us may your mileage may vary. Um, but uh, Brad, have you gone to Toys R Us yet? I went to Toys R Us, but this this was like three weeks ago, so the sales weren't that great yet. But I've been thinking about uh, going again just to see if I can get a hold of anything that might be left over. Yeah, you can get massive discounts on Lego sets. Of course, it's none of the Lego sets you want, but um, right. but there might be like something a, there. Like the Ninjago hot dog stand or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brad, what have you been up to? What have you been doing? Uh, so this past uh, weekend, the Onion Comedy and Arts Festival was happening in Chicago, and so there are a bunch of comedy shows over there. 
Um, but the only one that I went out of my way to check out was uh, they were doing How Did This Get Made live over in, um, in Chicago. So I made sure that I went over there and caught a show. They actually did four different shows uh, and four different movies, which was awesome. And so the um, one that I was lucky enough to get into was uh, they did Rad, the 19... 19- 86 BMX racing movie that isn't actually legally available on home video. It got a, like a very small release back in the 80s, only made like $400,000 at the box office, has become a cult classic, and the only copies that exist are bootleg copies that are sold from third-party sellers online. Uh, so this is kind of cool because everyone who went like were people that sought out the movie and really love it, and like in order to make sure people could enjoy it if they hadn't seen the movie yet uh they had like a a private vimeo link set up with a password on it so that you could watch it before the show and it was just uh it was just so fun because um you know it's paul Shear and jason mansugas and june diane Raphael together uh doing their thing and it's just it was a it was a blast like the the crowd was great all the commentary on the movie was hilarious and it was it was a lot of fun yeah, that show is great. If you're not listening to the podcast, uh, how did this get made? You should you should check it out. Uh, Paul is a listener of this podcast and, and a great guy. I ran into him at I, David Blaine last week. And actually, uh, I'm happy to report that uh, Jason is also a listener of the podcast as well. So, hi, Paul and Jason. <laughs> uh, what else have you been up to? Have you been eating anything recently? I did. I ate another <laughs> weird. I, I ate another weird thing. <laughs> I like that your go your default is like, hey, have you been you been eating anything? <laughs> nah, not this week. I just I'm I'm off of it. Um, I found out that there are chicken ramen flavored Pringles that exist, and so I I had to find them. Um, and they they are kind of odd. <laughs> um, it's basically the so you know wait you, you wait have, wait a second so. I used to eat ramen, like, out of the package. I'd, like, break it up and just eat it kind of like chips. Does it taste like that? Yeah. Well, so you've had ramen, and, like, it comes with that little flavor pack that, like, gives the noodles either, like, the chicken flavor or the beef flavor. And basically it's like if they took the flavor pack and sprinkled it on Pringles. That's what it tastes like. And so it's it's pretty good, you know. It's it um it it is similar to if you would if you were the kind of person that would eat the noodles hard as if it was some kind of you know, salty snack, then that, yeah, that, that's basically what, uh, what it is just in, in Pringles form. Interesting. So w- would you buy this again? Um, I don't know if I would go, go out of my way cause like, cause I like it, but it's not something that I feel like I would have a craving for regularly enough to be like, Oh yeah, these, these are the kind of chips that I like to sit down and snack on casually or something like that. Um, it was more just like, I was curious as to how the, the flavor, you know, was captured like in, in the form of a, of a Pringle. So if you want to try them, um, I, apparently they, you can only get them at jo- dollar general stores. Hmm. Uh, you know, you bring up a good point that, you know, a lot of these kind of crazy food items, these seasonal limited food items come out, like Oreo does a lot of them. Um, and I, I'm so used to like going to Target and buying them up. How many of them are things that you would actually want to come back and return in a non-limited basis? Like, it, have you had many limited you know flavors like this that like let's say oreos has there been anything that was just limited and you actually would like to buy on a regular basis um more often than not it's just it's novelty flavors that i wouldn't really ever see myself going out of my way to buy regularly there, there have been a couple though like 
they they did a cookie dough Oreo that was fantastic. They did a, a s'mores Oreo with a graham cookie that was that that I love. That I I hope that they bring back sometime. So every now and then there is a, more often than not it usually happens with soft drinks, especially Mountain Dew when they have they do like their limited flavors that people vote on and stuff like that, or they do you know limited edition game fuels that come out in as a cross promotion with a, a big popular video game that's coming out. Um, I'm I'm always kind of disappointed when those go away because some of those flavors are the best. There's there's, there's a particularly a a lemonade Mountain Dew that came out a few years ago that was attached to a certain Call of Duty game. I forget which one, and that was like my favorite Mountain Dew ever. It was delicious, and now it's gone and it hasn't come back at all. So every now and then a new flavor comes along that I w- wish was a regular thing. Yeah, I feel like most of the novelty Oreo flavors I I could just you know try and and never you know have again but i i do like uh the fireworks which they keep uh, they're bringing back again this summer and uh cinnamon which i think you hated so um, yeah, yeah. I, just, I just hate cinnamon as a flavor in general yeah uh jacob what have you been up to yeah. recently well as you as listeners may recall from last week uh last week was my home adventures of battling spiders and my home adventures this week are me buying couch <laughs> just that uh, my wife and I went to a new furniture store, opened about 15 minutes from us. We'll go and we'll check it out. We'll see how it is. We'll see if we have any things we can put on the list for long-term purchases. And we left having bought a couch. Uh, Jacob, so, you're uh, like a human version of HGTV right now. <laughs> but it was it's a really good couch. It's a really deep and really soft. Uh, and it's a little bigger than our current one. Our current couch is fine. It was, it was, it was a wedding gift, actually, uh, from, from my mother. But it's a case where it was just like, this couch is more expensive. It's softer. It's nicer. It's 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 a couch that I can see myself having for the next decade. You know what I mean? Like like when we bought our our dining room table with new house, we said, okay, we're not gonna go buy some two hundred dollar piece of garbage. Just go buy a table that we can see us still using a couple decades from now. So we we made those purchases seriously. We said, what are things that actually are worth the money? Because you're paying for something that's gonna last, you know, a lifetime. So I'm not sure if this is a lifetime couch, but it's at least a decade couch compared to our current couch, which is a five year couch minimum so, or maximum. So that was that, that was my adulting, uh, for the weekend. Uh, also, uh, as people who follow me on social media know, I am a depressed, anxious, uh, panicky ba- uh, bastard. And, um, so one evening I was feeling particularly stressed and my wife had the idea of let's go to the arcade. So we went to, uh, uh, pinballs in Austin. It's a, a local chain. Think sort of a, um, Dave and Buster's esque setup, except that it's, a local, hipper, cooler, um, good food, open, uh, uh, full bar, just a, um, le- a less corporate version of that sort of, uh, arcade, uh, in games and tickets atmosphere. And, uh, there are three locations in Austin. My favorite one is still the original one because it's in a, uh, business space. It's, it's in a building that's laid out for a, a white collar business and they, they, they took over the, the, that space and tamed it with an arcade so you're wandering through it and they've taken a space that had no business having an arcade in it and, and they transformed it, it, it uh, it's so weird it's like in like the middle of like office parks or something yeah it's crazy and they recently bought the entire building so they used to rent one floor now they bought the whole building and turned the upper floors into escape rooms it's really crazy and they have like other locations that are more traditional just bigger buildings laid out uh, but this original one is I, I, I love it because you, like, you walk in there and it's like when you see uh, footage or, or photographs of um, people trying to make villages or um, military outposts like in the frontier, this land does not want you here, but you're going to make it anyway. That's how I feel about with pinballs <laughs> with the building it's in. Yeah. Uh, 
but yeah, so my, my wife and I just played arcade games, and um, I'm the kind of guy who likes the um, old 90s light gun games. She likes games where you win tickets, so we each trade off playing games with each other, and you know what? I left feeling less depressed and anxious, so I, I, recommend, I recommend that as a good... Um, if you live in Austin, Texas, go to Pinballs if you're sad. If you don't live in Austin, Texas, go find a local arcade and go play some video games. You know, I was theorizing, uh, I think like a year ago, that, you know, watching Back to the Future 2, uh, you know, there aren't any Cafe 80s. But it, I, I, I came up to the realization that maybe our Cafe 80s are barcades. Uh, do you think like that, that, that it was kind of... You know, we we didn't uh, Bob Gale didn't quite predict it quite right. Yeah, I think that's accurate because I think the biggest difference between uh, Cafe Eighties and a place like Pinballs in Austin is that um, Bob Gale didn't realize people would want uh, beer with their nostalgia. They'd want to have a cocktail while they went and played their favorite uh, nineteen eighty four uh, pinball game. Uh, so it, it makes total sense. I mean, and we live in a world where um, people are feeling more and more comfortable uh, still loving things and find time for play as they grow old or grow older. Uh, so I think that in case where it's like, okay, if you're going to have this our arcade place um, full of new and old games or catering to you, uh, either a nostalgic level or on the level of wanting something new or fresh or, or filling in those old blanks, the idea of um, putting in an environment where you can be social and comfortable and have fun, that means putting in a bar. It makes perfect sense to me. Yes. Um, and HT has also been uh, away on work uh, business that you can't speak about, but you can tell us where you went and what you did, right? Yes. So I went on a trip to Hawaii for work, uh, which is about a 12-hour plane ride for me uh, with two sort of layovers, essentially. Well, one layover, essentially. And um, we I was not, before you ask, I was not anywhere near the lava uh, or any of the volcanic sort of explosions. I was very safe and on another island because all the lava is on um, the big island. And um, I actually heard from some of the locals there that the lava sort of crisis that's being reported on in the media is not quite as critical as you would think. It's kind of become more of like an annoy- an irritation for uh, daily life than it has been like some sort of world anything, which is really interesting to me. Um, but yeah, I was in Hawaii for only three days, which uh, barely got gave me any time to get over the jet lag. I'm still kind of getting over the jet lag now because I just arrived back yesterday. Um, But the very long plane rides that I was on gave me a chance to watch all the bad movies that I did not get to catch in theaters. I kind of tend to reserve the movies I watch on planes for movies that I did would not really want to spend money for or really spend time with, but I'm just going to be sitting around for five, six hours anyway, so I might as well. So I ended up watching Geostorm um, and uh, Downsizing. And I know that sounds like a really uh, bad sort of review of Downsizing, it, it, but I actually was surprised It, it sounds about. like you like went to Rotten Tomatoes and was like, what are the worst movies that I can watch? <laughs> I mean, they don't really have a great selection in the first place, so I was kind of left with a lot of those kind of movies. Although I was really, I was a little bit um, upset sometimes to find movies like Dunkirk on the plane. I'm like, oh, I, I, I feel really bad for people who are experiencing Dunkirk for the first time on a, on an airplane. Um, but yeah, it's sometimes I've seen good movies like Downsizing actually 
pleasantly surprised me in that it wasn't as egregious as I thought it would be. I remember when um, the movie came out, there were a lot of criticisms, criticisms actually, about Hong Chao's character and her accent. And she's a Vietnamese um, activist and refugee. And I will say, my hot take for the episode is that her accent is actually the most authentic Vietnamese accent I've heard on film. There have been other Vietnamese characters uh, on film and TV, but I actually find their sort of generic Asian accent to be more offensive than her really strong, heavy accent was. So like, for example, uh, Ki Hong Lee's character in uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is supposed to be a, a Vietnamese character, but he only gives his accent is more along the lines of what a Japanese character would be like. So that was that always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But Hong Chao always said that she based her accent in downsizing off of her parents. And it reminded me a lot of like older relatives I've had who have similar accents. And uh, while the film has its own slew of problems, her character was actually the least of their problems. But I won't go into it because, you know, geostorm and downsizing were just kind of ways for me to uh, while away the long hours on a plane. I also spent some time on the plane like... Yeah. Wait, wait a second. Was Geostorm so bad it was good or just bad? It was just bad. It was kind of like, well, that was two hours. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of how I felt. Yeah. So if you get for like, watching it on a plane, you didn't get the full Geostorm experience, HG. If you watch it at home, I know, the sound booming in I, your ears. I didn't get the 4DX experience either. So I feel like that's the only way really to experience Geostorm. Um, so yeah, and like I was also really upset because they killed uh, – well, actually, no, wait, that's a spoiler. Yeah. And Geostorm. Oh, no. For anyone now, who's now really upset compl- about Geostorm spoilers. <laughs> yeah, people are going to complain that now they know someone dies in Geostorm. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was Hawaii was really nice. Um, it was actually quite rainy when I arrived there. Uh, but we had one really nice day. And that was, of course, the day that I was working. So I didn't get to enjoy most of it. But I did take some really cool pictures of the chickens that uh, walk around. Oh, they're um, everywhere. That room- Really, yeah, they're everywhere. They're like on the street, and they often cause a lot of uh, both foot and road traffic. So it was fun. Okay, uh, I, I think you started us off on what we've been watching. Uh, <laughs> so uh, let me tell you what I've been watching, and it hasn't been much. Um, I've uh, talked in the past how I've kind of uh, uh, gotten into watching a lot of YouTube programming, and one of the shows I think I've mentioned on past podcasts, or one of the channels, I guess. I feel like I'm old and I'm like the guy that says, you know, call something, you know, let's record that on tape or something. Uh, one of the shows, uh, one of the channels I have been watching is uh, the Tim Tracker and it's uh, Tim and his wife, Jen, uh, who live in Orlando and they go to theme parks all the time. But it's about their like daily adventures. It's a daily video blog series. Recently, they went to Disneyland in Tokyo and Tokyo Disney Sea, which is uh, on my bucket list of things to to do. And uh, I've just been watching all their video blogs from their Tokyo trip, which I highly recommend if you are a Disney fan or a theme park fan. Uh, it's fun to live vicariously and and watch and see all the strange you know shows and thing you know merchandise like in I, I guess at uh, Tokyo Disneyland. Uh, one of the big things is you buy merch that has like accessories. So you will buy like a keychain of, you know, Goofy. And then you got to buy Goofy, the, the keychain of Goofy, you can buy like a hat for it and then like a popcorn bucket for it. And then it ends up costing you, you know, $50 for this keychain because you have accessorized it fully. But uh, anyways, that's one of the... <laughs> 
one of the more more interesting things uh, I, I discovered while uh, you know visiting Tokyo uh, from my couch. Um, but Tim and Jen are, are it, it, just so much fun to watch, and uh, I, I would highly recommend you'd go check them out. Uh, this morning, I caught the Apple WWDC keynote, um, which was not filled with that many surprises, but uh, I did want to mention a couple of them. Their uh, WWDC keynote is basically for the developers conference so it's basically them announcing all the new features that are going to be coming out on the next version of their operating system so it's not like you know as interesting as them announcing a new computer or watch or phone or ipad um but uh they did uh, show off some new ar experiences and jacob I, I know you didn't watch this um this thing but they showed off this demo of this uh, game that was like on a table and you were it was almost like a dexterity game where there was these blocks set up and you were trying to like slingshot to knock over the blocks of your opponents and it showed two people using their phones or iPads at the same time looking at the same 3D landscape that was in between them on the table and uh, I thought that was cool that they're now introducing these kind of like multi uh person gaming experiences that can be done in AR because you know walking around like an augmented reality 3D structure it, I mean it's kind of cool but it's kind of like gimmicky but uh, when you can actually interact with it with friends I think there's some tremendous uh, things that could be done in the future of tabletop gaming in this space and it's uh, it was very cool I, I think you, Jacob should check that out uh, but um, also they um they introduced uh, Memojis, which are basically Animojis that you can customize to look like you. So I guess now I can I can send you guys a uh, an animated version of myself saying stuff instead of a video of me. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm sure it will be huge. Uh, group FaceTime they announced, which will be capable of having 32 people on video in one chat room. And it had a UI that actually looked incredible. I'm like... Looking at this, and as a person who's dealt with Google um, Hangouts and it, it been very disappointed with the quality of those, like I'm, I'm kind of wondering if there will be a way to videotape these kind of FaceTime experiences, and maybe maybe that would be the next version of this podcast is is having something like that because it's cool when someone's speaking, their bubble kind of like gets bigger, and you get to see, you know focus on them instead of like camera switching that doesn't always work out properly. Uh, with Google Hangouts, um, and wait the um, the Memoji isn't that sort of ripped from the Snapchat? Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but like the get the uh, an emoji the, that they have on Snapchat where you can like make emoji of yourself or something. Hmm. Is it on Snapchat? I know they had Bitmojis, and people would bit send emojis, like pictures, but it was kind of like customized pictures, right? This yeah, is, um, it wasn't exactly you. So this is um you are using the front camera to basically animate the thing oh, kind of like oh, did you oh. see the animate emojis which are like animals oh uh, yeah yeah so it's it's so it's yes it is slightly a copy but i think it's it is its own unique thing i don't know maybe there's another company that probably did that at one point but, well uh, i'm excited to get work memos from you and animoji or in the yeah. meme emoji <laughs> yes that, that'll be fun 
Uh, I mean, it seems like Apple's just basically seeing what's working in the space and kind of going from there. Uh, but another thing they announced that I think is probably of interest to our listeners is they announced that Adobe Atmos functionality is coming to Apple TV. So if you have the new version of Apple TV, which uh, allows you to do 4K video, um, you can now stream Adobe Atmos sound when available on a movie. Uh, I have put off, you know, getting a Adobe Atmos system. <laughs> Because <laughs> I, I have a good surround sound system hooked up and, you know, set up and I don't want to like, you know, that setup is just so annoying. Uh, but now that I know, oh, and if you own movies that have Adobe Atmos tracks to them, Apple is for free upgrading all the movies to have the Adobe Atmos tracks and, you know, the 4K uh, uh, movies, which is I don't know. I, I think it's really cool of uh, a company like Apple who could easily have, you know, made more money by, you know, selling upgrade kits and stuff like that. Um, but I don't know. Uh, I, I don't even know the process of installing speakers on your ceiling, especially my ceiling, which is uh, really high. But uh, do, do any of you guys have Adobe Atmos? I'm not wealthy. <laughs> I don't think it's a, you have to be wealthy. They have sound bars now that are like in the couple hundred dollar range that like shoot the sound up to the ceiling and then the, it echoes down i'm not sure how well it works that sounds like something for rich people peter <laughs> it's a sound bar it's for people that don't want okay whatever um yes, whatever richie <laughs> i don't even have a 4k tv so i don't know what i'm talking about so uh but um what else did they uh, oh one last thing i wanted to talk about that they announced was they announced a bunch of security features for both desktop and mobile that will further prevent cookie tracking in the Safari browser. Um, I know everybody's all about privacy right now, but I wanted to share a bit from the other side of things, the bit of a, a publisher, a content creator. Um, when uh, the, the, the ads that make content providers the most money are ads that um, are using cookies to dynamically serve you targeted ads. So like, HT, if you are looking at Miyazaki movies on Amazon, you know, and you go into Slash Film and it, ser- it sees those cookies in some way, it serves you like, you know, an ad for the latest Miyazaki Blu-ray. Um, and th- those ads pay more. Uh, ag- again, now people are all, you know, uh, getting crazy about privacy and they don't want that. Uh, so what's going to happen? We don't know. But I, I would predict what's going to happen is uh, once th- this gets rolled out in the future versions of safari on ios and uh, the desktop operating systems a lot of these websites are going to be making a lot less in advertising revenue uh and uh likely uh that could lead to um you know more widespread clickbait could lead to more advertorials uh you know putting ads in content um and uh I don't know. It, it, some, you know, some of your favorite websites might go out of business because of something like this. And it's just sad. Like, I, I know we all value privacy. <laughs> like, I don't not value my privacy, but uh, it's it, it's sad that uh, this measures like this I think are going to push the internet into a horrible place to to be. Like, you know, the the people that are going to be making money are going to be the bad people and not the good people. So. Anyways, not to make it all serious and stuff, but uh, I wanted to bring that up. And uh, one thing I have not been watching recently is Westworld. Uh, I 
Kitra has been away uh, because her mom is sick, and I've kind of decided not to watch it uh, w- without her. But it's also I'm not like super excited to see it, uh, and which is weird because the season one of Westworld I think was like my new favorite TV show. And Chris, I know you're writing and reviewing about Westworld on the site. Uh, are you feeling the same way? Like, what is it about this season that like just doesn't seem as yeah. good? Uh, so when I did the I did the pre-air review, uh, HBO gave me the first five episodes. And I watched them back to back, and I really liked them. I, I actually thought they were an improvement over season one, which I also liked. But doing the weekly reviews, I've been sort of growing tired with it. And last night's episode in particular, I was just like... And, and, and no spoilers, it, it, like, I haven't seen it. I won't spoil it, but it, it, it basically broke me to the point where I'm just like, oh, I don't even care how this ends at this point. It's just, it's, it's dragging its feet. And I honestly don't, you know, I know it's been approved for it's, you know, has the green light for season three, but I have no idea what they're even going to do with season three, because this season, it, it seems like they're just, they're, they're just spinning their wheels. They're just, there's nowhere really left for it to go, but we'll see. I mean, there's three more episodes left. Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll my tune will change next week. Is anyone here still excited about Westworld? I'm not excited like I was during season one, but I'm enjoying it more than Chris is. But whenever I edit his reviews every Monday morning, I, I nod a lot. <laughs> I say like, yep, you have a hard time arguing with that. I, I just don't mind it as much as he does. So it's a case where even though I like it, I think, it's, I think the criticisms are all well warranted this season. Yeah, it's not like I'm not enjoying it. It's just I'm not excited about it. Um, it used to be a thing that I loved theorizing and talking about from week to week, and now it's like, I don't know, maybe I could wait until it's all done and watch it in a binge. Maybe that would be more enjoyable, and that's that's kind of sad. Uh, J- Jacob, what have you been watching? Uh, I've watched a handful of movies over the past week. Um, one of my liked uh, more than I thought I would. This was sort of one of those random, let's have a drink and put on a horror movie type nights, which is at least two or three of the nights of my week. Uh, I watched a movie called uh, Stillborn. That's still... Uh, slash born uh, it was it was bought by shutter the streaming service which i talk about all the time on this podcast uh, and they premiered it on their service in um, may i believe and it's about a uh, new mother uh, who gives birth to twins one of whom dies in childbirth and takes her surviving child home and finds that something otherworldly is threatening her baby or maybe not. The question of whether or not she's going insane or there actually is some kind of force out to harm her child is the question movie balances on from beginning to end. And it's a uh, tight 87 minutes directed by a newcomer named um, Brandon Christensen. And I thought I was going to get some, some, some schlock, but it's actually it's a good movie. It has good performances, has good scares uh, of the jump and the dread variety. Uh, the performances, uh, especially from the lead um woman uh pull up her name right now uh christy burke plays mary and jesse moss who plays jack the married couple at the center of the film actually have real chemistry and i bought them as a couple uh so even when the movie gets silly toward the end and it does get silly toward the end uh i was on board for them as characters and i, I i'm curious if chris has seen this because i feel like this is the kind of movie chris would have watched i have not seen this yet I, I have it in my my shutter queue but i have yet to watch it 
Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised, Chris. Uh, I know it has some of the things that you don't like about modern horror movies. I know it has probably a few too many uh, score-infused uh, jump scares. But there's some good stuff in here, and there's some good um, imagery and, and, and good acting, and a very small performance from Michael Ironside, who is always welcome to see. Uh, and we followed it up with a, uh, with a bad movie, a, a very bad movie uh, called Altitude. Uh, 2010 horror movie takes place almost entirely in a small five-person plane. About a group this of- sounds <laughs> awesome. This already sounds awesome. It's, uh, this teenage pilot and her four teenage friends go on a plane. Plane malfunctions and they draw and they uh, fly into a dark cloud inhabited by a tentacled monster that starts attacking the plane. And oh boy, is it bad! It has uh, the feeling of a, of a sci-fi channel original movie. The acting's bad. The characters are just unusually hard to deal with. Like I feel like with horror movies, we sometimes just kind of roll our eyes at. A bad character or a one-note character say, yep, okay, this, this is territory, goes to the genre, we have to deal with it sometimes. But all five of the people in this movie are just unbearable. And by the time the movie kind of reveals what's going on, where this monster came from, uh, why, uh, why it's there, what's going on, and sort of tries to tie all the pieces together, it's laughable. It is uh, it, not even in a good way. I was kind of bored, silly by it, and I... I feel like it didn't even scratch my bad horror movie itch. It, Altitude, it's a bad movie. Don't watch it. It's streaming on Netflix, I think, but don't watch it. Um, but I guess uh, to take the 180 uh, turn here, the other movie I want to talk about briefly uh, is I rewatched The Incredibles uh, for the first time in years. And I, you know, I've always been a fan. I always liked it. Um, but that movie holds up. I mean, the animation's you know primitive by modern standards. But I feel like uh, Brad Bird tapped into something special that I think lots of modern superhero movies and live action don't get. I mean, he's built this world that's like a combination of the first 10 years of Marvel, DC's Golden Age, plus some Watchmen. Uh, but it feels like he's taking these familiar pieces and he's uh, made something that feels like it could have been an actual superhero comic. It feels like it feels like I'm watching the best possible adaptation of a comic that never existed. And that's something that I've never felt from an actual comic adaptation. And watching it again got me excited for the sequel in a way I, I was not. I mean, like Peter, I was like, okay, Incredibles 2. Okay, fine. Yeah, it's coming. I'll, I'll see it. Okay. Uh, but remembering just how good Brad Bird is at constructing this world and, and constructing these characters and making me care about both and how they relate to each other. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm now officially excited to return to uh, the world of the Incredibles. Uh, so I'm curious, uh, you know, Peter, I know you said you were, weren't super on board. How long has it been since you've watched the uh, first one? Oh, it must must be like five, six years at this point. So, yeah, it's been a while. And I think that's probably the part of the problem. It's been so long uh, since the last installment that uh, maybe my excitement. I don't know, but I should be excited. Like, I was excited when they announced it. I think it's just the trailers I'm seeing. Oh, and, and you mentioned, you know, for a comic book that never uh, existed, they actually made comic books based on The Incredibles after The Incredibles. Have you read any of those comics? Uh, no, I, I haven't. And, uh, I think it's because it's one of the reasons why I said maybe I was nervous about a sequel at first is that the world felt so complete and it, while still being left open-ended that in the immediate aftermath of the movie, I was like, I'd rather imagine other adventures than have them told me in a comic book form. Uh, so, but maybe if I like the sequel, I'll go back and dive in. I've actually never read any of the Pixar comics. I don't know if they're good or not. Chris, what have you been watching lately? Uh, I binge through, it's about 13 hours of, uh, this true crime documentary called the staircase, um, 
for, uh, I did that to review it for Slash Elm, and the review is up on SlashElm.com right now. Um, this was originally uh, a French series. Um, it, it premiered on Canal Plus, which is a French television channel. And uh, it, it premiered early 2000s, like 2004. And um, Netflix uh, commissioned three new episodes for it. And it's a, it's this true crime documentary. It's about this uh, this guy named Michael Peterson. He, he was an author. And uh, he, he one night his wife was found uh, at the bottom of staircase uh, dead in their home. And, you know, his story was she fell down the steps and died. But the, you know, the state and the prosecutors were convinced he killed her. So it, it turned to this whole trial. And I don't want to use the, the term spoiler because it's a true story. But, you know, I won't get into spoilers and tell you what happened. But. This documentary, it, it um, the filmmakers were embedded with uh, Michael Peterson and his family and the lawyers, so it, it basically covers the beginning of his indictment all the way through his trial, and um, the Netflix episodes update, you know, what's happened since the series ends, and it's very good. It's it's a lot different than most modern true crime series because it's not as sensationalized. It, it's more uh, laid back. It's more casual, and like a lot of the. Th- all the episodes are really about just how mundane and tedious being on trial can be. You're just going through all this stuff, you know, just dealing with you know the legal system. But it, it's really so it, sorry, does, it doesn't have like the you know the trademark cliffhangers of of most of the Netflix. Uh... Every every once in a while, an episode will end with like a big twist, but it's it's not really created that way. Uh, especially because there's so many episodes where you know it it would almost be impossible to pack that many like cliffhangers into how many episodes there are of this but it's it's very it's it's a fascinating series it's very well done and uh if you've seen the original run the new episodes are very good too they 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 close they they offer as much closure as you can possibly get with a case like this that is good because because coming off of evil genius i felt like i didn't get the closure i needed from that series um but let's move on to ht ht what did you you finally saw solo didn't you yeah, I've been really late on the summer blockbuster game. I actually haven't even seen Deadpool 2 yet. Don't hate me. But I finally got around to seeing Solo this weekend uh, after I got back from Hawaii. And I enjoyed it for the most part. Um, I thought it was a solid film. Uh, Alden Ironreich was was good and fun, kind of a dopey version of Hansel, which I prefer more to like the sort of swashbuckling, uh, suave version that a lot of people have in their minds. So... But I felt like the film itself was almost inconsequential. Uh, and I say that not as like in a bad way, but I felt like maybe it's because the stakes aren't don't feel quite as elevated because, you know, our beloved characters, Han and Chewie, will get out alive. And maybe it's because Han is a character that I never called fight. I never felt quite that sort of connected with. Um, I never was really that excited for a Han Solo prequel movie. Um, and I would have preferred maybe a Leia movie or even a Lando movie. And actually, I felt like the movie itself sort of jumped into life when Lando came on screen just because he was, um, Donald Glover was just oozing charisma. But the film was was fun. And it was, a, a, I think it truly lived up to its um, purpose as a Star Wars story. It was a movie that really lived up to that sort of anthology standalone story title, even though it was kind of setting up what would be, what supposedly would be a franchise if the movie does well, which 
it seems like it won't. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. It felt like the movie, the story, which I, again is solid, was almost would almost be better served as like a Star Wars comic book. That's yeah. kind of the thing, the tone that I got from the movie, which was like, this is really fun for fans, and it's a, like a rollicking adventure. But I felt like it almost felt like a film version of a Star Wars comic book. No, I, I totally get that. I've been saying, I think I said it on the podcast, that this is a film that is the it is the best case scenario for a movie that no one wanted and we didn't need. <laughs> um, I think it's enjoyable, and I think anybody that says it isn't is, you know, just being kind of cynical to be cynical. But it, yeah, it definitely is in, inconsequential, and it feels kind of like. I don't know. It, it it feels a little bit the way I feel like Ant Man fit fit into like the mm. the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I felt like it was kind of like oh, it was a fun standalone, but it's kind of like I I don't need to see it again. I don't know. Yeah, Brad, what have you been watching? Uh, I have been watching a staple television classic that everyone should enjoy at some point in their life. No, um, I've been I as I've said before, whenever I'm working at home uh, on slash from stuff, I always put stuff on in the background that I've seen before that I don't have to pay much attention to. Um, and in this case, I recently found out that every season of the original uh, series, The Brady Bunch, was on Hulu. And I grew up watching The Brady Bunch because it was a show that my mom loved watching when she was a kid. And whenever I would go over to my grandparents' house, they didn't have cable, they had a channel that played a lot of Brady Bunch reruns all the time. And I would always watch them with my mom and my grandparents like um, when I stayed over there when I was a kid. And so I have seen uh, every episode of the Brady Bunch. And I, 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 I know too much useless trivia about the Brady Bunch because of how much my mom loved it and everything. And so it's been a long time since I've I even sat down to watch old episodes. Uh, and I just decided to actually run through from beginning to end. It's something that I've never done before. I've only ever caught episodes in reruns and never really in order even. Uh, so I just recently started that. And that's, that's been fun. It's, it's such a cheesy, you know, series. But it's it's fun to go through and just just watch it and you know remember things that I forgot about and and that kind of thing and also the um, the Brady Bunch movies I think are available on Amazon and I actually like them just because of how many fun nods there are to the original series and it's you know it's it's honestly just a solid parody like you know not quite in the, the vein of the Naked Gun but but almost there. Yeah, no, I, I also grew up watching the Brady Bunch. I don't, yeah, there must have been a channel, it must have been the same channel that played reruns in like the afternoons. And uh, that first Brady, I'm not sure about a very Brady sequel, but like that first Brady Bunch movie was so much fun. Uh, I think that's directed by the Can't Hardly Wait people, the the the, the team that directed Can't Hardly Wait, which uh, if you haven't seen, you need to see. I, also uh, actually, I actually recently learned that Christopher Daniel Barnes, who plays Greg, in the Brady Bunch movies is the voice of Prince Eric on the little mermaid. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I saw him in, in, uh, when I went to Florida two weeks ago, there was a lot of people waiting to get his autograph at the, (laughs) uh, at the, um, baggage claim. And I, I, I had no idea who, who it was because they had his like name. I didn't recognize the name, but they had like little mermaid posters and stuff. I don't know how people find out, that a celebrity is going to arrive at a certain time at, at their local airport. That's, that seems like a crazy amount of work to go through to get someone's autographs. But uh, l- let's move on to what we've been playing. Jacob, you've been playing a little bit of tabletop? 
uh, yeah, I was at a friend's house the other night, and she was hosting a game night, and she broke out The Godfather, Corleone's Empire, uh, which I've played before, but it's been a while. That game is real good. It's uh, uh, published by Simon Games, designed by Eric Lang, who's a very prolific uh, uh, designer, does a lot of really popular thematic games the past few years. And this game is interesting because I, the lore here is, you know, come play a Godfather game, come play this massive box, lavishly produced uh, Godfather game full of plastic figures and great art and likenesses of the people from the movies. And the premise is everybody's trying to make the most money. They're, they're running their mafia family through New York City, trying to take over businesses, trying to um, get each other down, trying to um, be in the right place at the right time to make the most profit and negotiate, you know, get things done. And it's a very fun game. It's a definitely a brain burner, uh, even though the theme is very heavy and there's gunplay and there is um, violence. It's a very uh, balanced Euro-style game. And for those of you who don't know board game terms, it means that uh, it is very fair. It is very much about building an engine and taking care of your own stuff. Like if, you, if, you, if one of your soldiers gets gunned down in the streets of the Bronx... Uh, he doesn't get removed from the board. He gets sent back to the next round. It's, it's sort of like, even though the game is uh, based on these violent crime movies, the uh, engine of the game itself is very much, could take this and make it about farming in Europe. It's, it's that kind of game design. And I think it may disappoint some people uh, who are looking for like some all-out war, all-out bloody um, gangster versus gangster game. Uh, but, some, but I feel like it maybe is a little more appropriate for The Godfather since this is a series of movies where it's, you know, strictly business, where it's, you know, <laughs> it's not as uh, personal all the time. It's about um, crime as you know, super organized and uh, uh, super corporatized. So it, maybe it makes sense. But at the same time, um, this $80 overproduced beautiful game, uh, as much as it scratches my itch to play a good like engine building puzzle game. Uh, it doesn't quite scratch my itch to play a good um, play as a criminal empire and destroy stuff game. And for that, I'd recommend uh, Sons of Anarchy, based on the FX TV show. I do not like that show. This game is garish. The, the art is terrible. The plastic pieces are low rent. But it's like a $30 game. And every time I've played it, I've had a blast. It's the best tabletop simulation of being a criminal I've ever played. And every time people play it, they get so into it and they're screaming and yelling and cursing. Whereas, so, whereas Godfather is a very dignified experience. It's very much a game where everybody does the math in their head and sees, sees, who, sees who wins and says, oh, that was a good game. Uh, Sins of, Sins of Anarchy is the kind of game where you leave the table yelling and cursing and saying, I'll get you next time. So if you want a crime game, those are, your two, those are probably two options depending on what your mood is. Yeah, I, I like The Godfather. I do agree with you. It is more of a Euro-style game. I have not, uh, I could not get into Sons of Anarchy, the TV series, so I've never tried out the tabletop game. Do do I need to know any of the characters or anything from the show to enjoy No, not at all. Not at all. You just get a, a, a character sheet that is like the name of the gang, and you uh, and that's all it is. Everything else is just like names of locations and anonymous bikers who make up your, your, your troops. Uh, you don't need to know the show at all. All you gotta know is I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a biker gang and sell drugs and shoot people, and yeah, that's all you need to know. Okay, Brad, what have you been playing? So I have again not really been playing any games, but just messing around with some new music. Uh, and we don't really have a what have you been listening to category, so I just like to shoehorn my stuff in here uh, because I found out that uh, John Mayer has a new single called New Light, and I've always enjoyed the music of John Mayer. Uh, his more recent stuff hasn't necessarily been my favorite of his, but I've just always liked his sound. He's an incredibly skilled guitarist, 
Um, he's he's a good lyricist, and I've just I've always enjoyed his music. And so he has a new single called New Light. It's pretty good. It's um it has a little bit of like a 1970s uh lighter funk sound to it. Um, feels retro without being you know without pandering to nostalgia necessarily. Uh, and yeah, it's 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 pretty catchy and yeah, I just uh, I like it. So I'm interested to see uh, what what his new album is going to be like. Okay, let's move on to what we've been reading. Jacob, you're always reading something. What have you been reading this week? Uh, I'm having very bittersweet feelings about uh, Dark Horse Comics' Harrow County, a horror comic uh, created by Colin Bunn and Tyler Crook, who do the writing and the art for the series. Uh, It's coming to an end uh, after 32 issues. Issue 31 just came out last week. And this is a near-perfect horror comic. It is... I don't want to say too much because it has a lot of twists and turns. And the the comic that is in issue one is not the comic that is in issue five. Uh, I know Sci-Fi bought the rights for a TV show a couple of years back, and we haven't heard anything. But it's this uh, deep South horror about a girl who learns she's a reincarnation of a witch in this small southern town, and about how she uses her powers for good, or tries to, uh, while she navigates a this sort of horror fantasy world full of monsters and demons and ghosts. And it really feels like a great campfire story. Like someone took all the campfire stories of the South and built them into this sort of a plot that recalls uh, vertical comics, uh, Sandman. So if you, if the idea of um, Southern Gothic horror Sandman sounds like your comic book, you, you need to pick this up and coming to an end, but the, the series will be all collected in trade paperbacks and dark horses announced some oversized hardcovers that'll collect the series in uh, larger formats. And it's, it's remarkably good. And for those of you who follow my thoughts on comics, um, it's as good as it's pretty much a horror equivalent of saga which is a sci-fi fantasy comic that's been my favorite comic for years now. And Saga and Harrow County have been my go-to comics. Like, when someone says, what should I read? I, I say these two. And uh, now it's coming to an end. It has a definitive 32-issue run. And if you have any interest at all in, like, this kind of storytelling, read this. It is really good. And on a different note, uh, I found a book at uh, the used bookstore the other day. Um, give you guys the title. It is... Uh, the Gargantuan Book of Insult, Offense, and Affrontery, and it is the worst uh, joke book I've ever seen in my entire life. So I'm going to use I'm going to give you guys some insults from this book. Uh, uh, Peter, I hear you're getting a jacket for your birthday, the straight kind. Uh, uh, Wait, I, uh, I I don't even I, I, I'm still trying to figure that out. What, what is the joke? Straight jacket. Oh, okay. Because you're crazy. Yeah. yeah. Hey, HT, you have a very striking face. How many times were you struck there? Uh, uh, that one's like that one's kind of, kind of bad. That's, actually, that's really mean. <laughs> hey, Brad, you have a Supreme Court figure. No appeal. Whoa. <laughs> uh, Chris, uh, uh, let's see. If I go in for Chris. Uh, he's a pain in the neck, and some people have an even lower opinion of him. Wow. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? Um, I um, I'm someone who once told who once uh, was told to be himself, and I couldn't have given myself any worse advice. So, <laughs> Jacob, why did you buy this book? Because it's the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I've been carrying it around in social situations, opening it whenever there's a dark moment or a pause. And I've been, it's the worst thing, and I hate it so much, and I love it so much. So you've just been randomly insulting people with bad jokes in your life. 
this week? Well, Peter, I don't know what makes you tick, but I hope it's a time bomb. Oh, boy. <laughs> that one has not, doesn't even make sense. <laughs> it does. Because, no, because it means he hopes that he's going to explode. Oh, I guess. <laughs> I, yeah. Okay, I don't even know a transition here. So we're going to go to Chris to find out what he's been reading. Uh, because it's, it's it's totally on brand for Chris. Uh, Chris, what have you been reading? Uh, I'm reading Stephen King's new novel, The Outsider. Um, Stephen King, as everyone knows, will never, ever stop writing. He will release one book every four months somehow. I don't know how he does it, but he does. And uh, I, haven't, you know, I haven't finished this yet. It's okay so far. This is more of um, a mystery. Stephen King has these this series called the Bill Hodges series, and it's these books like Finders Keepers and Mr. Mercedes, and they're more like mysteries, which I'm not really into. And so this is like a blend of that, but with the supernatural. Um, it's got a really cool premise where – uh, this guy gets arrested for killing um, a, a kid from his town, but this guy has like the most airtight alibi anyone could ever have. There's actually footage of him elsewhere while the murder is happening, but there's also a mountain of forensic evidence that says he did it. And there's actually witnesses who saw him committing the crime. So it's this basically this really weird story about, you know, how can this one guy be in two places at once? And, um, uh, it's okay so far. I, I haven't finished it yet. It's 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 not my favorite Stephen King book, but I'm I'm always up for more Stephen King. Like, how how does he produce this much work on a regular basis? Like, do you, do you think he has anybody helping him out? Like, I know some of the, like the most you know like the famous uh, sculpture artists of the the Renaissance like had teams of people helping them out. Uh, does Stephen King have people? No, he he just. That's literally all he does is just write. He just writes literally morning to night. I mean, if if you ever read his, he has a book called On Writing where he describes his process where he That's literally just wait. Yeah, he just wakes up and just immediately starts writing, no matter what day it is, no matter what you know time of the year it is. He just wakes up and he writes basically from morning to night, and you know I'll stop for lunch and that's it. And he's just constantly working, and it, it, it's it's uh it's kind of insane. <laughs> So it's probably more so where like a normal writer, you know, is working and working and working and, uh, you know, self-editing and submitting the the good ideas and the good stuff that they get down to. He, you know, he's able to publish everything he writes or that comes into his head, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. It's tr- it's like, you know, other writers, they got to go through, you know, a query letter and all this stuff, whereas, he, you know, his name alone guarantees Anything he writes, someone will approve it. So yeah, he doesn't have to worry about pitching. Basically, he can literally just do whatever he wants. I'm still amazed that someone of his on his caliber is, you know, usually when you're at the on the caliber, you don't have or you don't feel like you have to produce that much content and that much work, that much art. Uh, but consistently, he still, you know, uh, I'm not sure if he, you know, needs the money or. It's just like, you know, that's what he loves doing. I guess that's probably what he loves doing. Uh, but it's insane. HT, what have you been reading? Well, I didn't take any of you guys' recommendations from last week. And um, for my plane ride, I read all of Haruki wait, Murakami's. Wait, wait, wait. It's okay. It's okay. J- Jacob, <laughs> give, feed me a joke here. Okay. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, <laughs> HT, since you did not read our books. Um, uh... <laughs> 
when you were asked about what you know of Poe's Raven, you replied, no, what's he mad about? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so you're uh, tell us what you actually read. <laughs> all right. So I ended up picking up a copy of Haruki Murakami's latest book, Men Without Women, which is a collection of short stories that was published in English in 2017, originally published in Japan in 2014. So it's a collection of stories about were very wistful stories, often depressed, sometimes surreal, about men who have lost the woman in their lives for some reason or other, either by affairs, death, or just missed connections. So it's a very, it's a really good uh, and quick read and very like Murakami in that sense, in that it leaves you with this strange sort of lasting impact long after you finish reading it. And uh, I recommend it. i Murakami is one of my favorite writers, and uh, I always uh, jump to read one of his latest books, even if it's just a collection of short stories as it is here. And I actually think that he might have reused some of his old stories because one of them is familiar that he might have reworked for this new edition. But it's really great. I recommend it. And what is the name of that book again? Men Without Women. Very cool. Okay, we've gone long enough as we do with all of these Water Cooler Mondays, so I'm not going to do with the uh, where where you can find our work. You can find most of it on SlashFilm.com. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV. And you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow.